Matthew 19, verse 27. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? Peter was not one to beat around the bush. He was not a tongue-tied kind of a guy. Peter went straight, told it, hey, you know, let the chips fall where they may. So he says, listen, Jesus, we left everything. So what do we get? Today we're going to look at the bottom line of discipleship. We're going to go right to the root. What do we get for serving God, for being sacrificial? You could be at home right now, in bed, crying because the Raiders lost. <laughs> or at home in bed, crying because the 49ers are going to lose. You have your choice. Uh, yesterday when they were leaving my house, I said, hey, listen, I, uh, I'm neutral. I don't like them both. <laughs> People were leaving my house about, you know, hey, well, they're okay, you know, but I'm a Ram fan. What can you say? The L.A. scraps. I was brought up down there. Huh? <laughs> but, uh, 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 you know, but you're here in church. You're here sacrifice. What is the bottom line for you? What, what rewards do you have? That's what Peter's saying. See, Peter's talking for every man, for you and I. Hey, Jesus, what do we get for sacrifice? If we're getting up and forgetting about the Niners, forgetting about the Dodgers, forgetting about all that, but we're remembering you, living all out for you, 100% genuine, genuine discipleship. What is our reward? Let's pray. Father, I pray you take these next few moments and let us totally and truly understand what is our reward for genuine discipleship, the bottom line of leaving all and following you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We spoke on family last week, so I want to tell you a little joke here pertaining to family. There was this individual who won, and we're dealing with the, 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 the Super Bowl here, getting close to Super Bowl Sunday. This man won a Super Bowl ticket from his work, ad mail or whatever, hallelujah. Huh? And they were doing very prosperous, so they gave him a ticket. But when he gets to the Super Bowl, he's there, it's in the nosebleed section, it's up there with the blimp, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, he's way up there with the, with the Goodyear, you know, way up on top. And he's watching the game, and he's glad to be there, but man, way up there. <clears throat> and then around the first quarter, as it's nearing the end, he notices that near the 50-yard line, a great seat has been there, and nobody's taken it. And he's just checking it out. He's looking at the game, but he's looking at that. And at the end of the first quarter, nobody takes a seat. So he's like, hmm. He goes to get a hot dog. And he says, I'm going to try it. I'm going to go. He goes around the security. He goes down there by where the seat is. And he looks. And it's like the second seat by the row. So he tells the man sitting at the end of the row, he says, is that seat taken? He goes, no. He goes, wow. So, can I get, so he gets there and he sits down next to the seat. Great seat. He's having a good day. He's saying, wow. He's, you know, and then he tells the guy, man, who in their right mind would give up a seat like this and not come and take it? And the man goes, why, I bought the ticket. He says, it belonged to my wife, but she passed away. We've had Super Bowl seats right here. We bought them since 1967 when we first got married. We've always had these, but she passed away. And the guy said, wow, okay. He's feeling a little bad. And he says, well, couldn't you have given it to one of your friends or your relatives, your acquaintances? You know, some, well, your cousin or a friend of yours? Couldn't you have given it to a relative, the, the, the seat? 
He goes, no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> That's called a... <laughs> no, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> Some people... My wife was talking about being fanatical. Some of you are going, that's you, Harry. You know, I, 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 I. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Thank God for grace. <laughs> that's what we're going to be covering today, the grace of God. The economy, as a matter of fact, the title of my sermon is Grace 101. We're going to learn, I believe this portion of scripture that we're going to be covering here today is, in a sense, the epitome, the best portion of scripture I can find pertaining to grace. The economy, the economics of heaven. We've taken, you know, some of you go to school and college and some of you are going to, and they have like economics 101. Well, this is grace 101, what we're going to be covering today. It's going to be a lot of a teaching here today. You've got to keep your thinking caps on. We're going to learn about the grace of God and how beautiful, amazing it is. How bountiful the grace of God is. How boundless the grace of God is. Trust me, because I already preached a sermon in the 9 o'clock. Bountiful grace, boundless grace doesn't mean a lot to you right now, but at the end of the sermon... If you pay attention, you're going to see how boundless and how bountiful and how amazing the grace of God is. See here, once again, Peter is asking the question, the $64,000 question, what about us, Jesus? We've left everything. What is our reward? Peter is every man. He's, he's, he's standing in our stead, in our place. A lot of us would like to ask that question, but we don't do that because we're humble. Uh, we're, not Peter. Peter didn't fool around. Humility, I'm very humble. I don't care about it. I want to know. Jesus, I left everything. I, mean, I had a wife, man. Uh, and I'm not coming out with her all the time. I'm following you. What is in it for me, Jesus? What's in it for us as disciples? From leaving everything else. Uh, see, in order to fully understand the answer to Peter's question, we need to examine the preceding verses and the following verses. That's what we're going to do here. Okay, look at chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Chapter 19. Remember, we're searching here. And what are we searching for? We're searching for the bottom line of discipleship. What do we got coming? For being sacrificial disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to examine beginning in verse 16 of chapter 19 of Matthew. Do you have it? Follow along with me as I read. Now a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher or Master, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the, in verse 20, the guy says, all these have I kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? So he was lacking something. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. But the young man heard this. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, or some translations, King James says, sorrowful, because he had great what? Wealth. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then is our reward? Verse 28. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the regeneration or the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, will have, you who have followed me will also sit on these twelve th thrones. 
judging the total tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or children or friends for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. See, this young man came to Christ and he wants to know how to inherit eternal life. This young man was wealthy. Of course, he was young, energetic. Uh, he was successful. But his question shows that he still had something missing. He was still not totally satisfied. A lot of you can come to church the very same way. You have to be here. But you're not, you know, you're searching. You're looking for answers. But, you, you know, you're, you're a little religious because you came to church. But yet you're not content on the inside. You're still outside of it because you're still searching. You're looking. Uh, and I've said it before. Just because you come to church isn't going to make you content and full. Because I go into my garage every day. I am not a car. So just coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? See, this young man was searching. Look at Romans chapter 9. Beginning in verse 31. But you got to keep a, a marker on Matthew 19 because we're going to come right back to it. But I want to show you something here. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 31. Matter of fact, I'll begin reading in verse 30. See, this man was very religiously zealous, but he's looking and he's still searching. He means well, but he still hasn't found what he's looking for. Do you have Romans 9? Look at verse 30. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who do, not, who do not pursue or search righteousness have obtained it? A righteousness that is by what? Here's a key. But Israel who pursued a law of righteousness just like that rich young ruler. He was looking for righteousness. He was pursuing. He was chasing after it. He was searching for it. Has not attained it just like he hadn't. He was still uncontent. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith but as it were by works. That's what was happening here with this individual. Okay? And what happens is when, like a lot of us, when we finally do search for it and we come face to face with it, the truth, Jesus Christ himself, we don't want to pay the price. This young man didn't want to pay the price. Sell all. Come follow me. He didn't want to do that. Many of us are like that. Once we come face to face with, 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 with the things of God and we know what we got to do, no, it, it's too hard. I don't want to sacrifice. I am a diehard Raider fan. And I hope you don't like it. But I, it's too hard. I can't tithe 10% of my money. No way. Uh-uh. See, this rich young ruler, he'd heard Jesus had answers to religion. And thus being religious, he comes to him. Because he's religious. He even referred to Jesus as good, which equates to being God. So that's what it meant back then. In other words, he knew that he was probably God. And verse 20 shows that he was deeply devout. From his very youth, the Bible says. But his estimation of inheriting eternal life was from the Pharisees' point of view. And what have I told you? The Pharisees couldn't see fair. So he sees it from the Pharisees' point of view. The Pharisees were very, very legalistic. Some of you used to belong to a religion that was very legalistic. Uh, remember, I mean, I, I've seen it when they, when they get on their knees and, you know, they, they, they crawl. Especially on Christmas holidays or Easter. Oh, they figure they got it coming because they crawled up, you know, the Tower of Babel 49 times a day. Uh, no, man, all you're going to need, sorry, brother, but, you know, you're going to need a whole lot of Band-Aids. 
That's what's going to happen to you. <laughs> See, he had a wrong estimation. He thought he, he, was, he, he thought he had a real good report card. So God should let him into heaven. He thought God graded on the curb. And he was real right over here. Thought he had it together. Ah. Uh, See, he knew very little of grace. That's what I want us to learn about here this morning. Grace. Uh, we're living in the era of grace now. He tells Jesus, this rich young ruler, he says, I've tried hard to keep the laws, yet why do I still feel like I feel? Still totally unfulfilled. Why is that? He's searching. Uh, how come I'm not totally content on the inside? Just like so many people who come to church and yet they leave unfulfilled. Uh, because church is going to fill you. Jesus is going to fill you. Forgiveness is going to fill you. Uh, well, I did my part. I went to church. Yet I still didn't really feel all that good or better. That's because we're trying to earn a feeling. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't. We need to understand that. Martin Luther snapped to that many, many years ago. Oh, the just shall live by faith. The first sermon I ever heard when I was in Victory Outreach was I was in the men's home where they had a TV and I heard Billy Graham preach, the just shall live by faith. For by grace I am saved through faith. I didn't understand that. A lot of us were brought up that, you know, if, you know, if we're good, God's going to be good with us. But if we're bad, man, he's going to knock us out. Ah, I don't understand all those things. Ah, see, this young man wanted to earn his way in. He tried legalism, fulfilling all the laws and the requirements, uh, like a lot of religions do. Uh, you know, but yet he was unhappy. So he tells the master, he says, I've tried playing church, but I'm tired of playing church. What must I do? And Jesus was not afraid to tell him what he had to do. Uh, Jesus was not afraid to confront him. He tells him out front what he has to do. Uh, remember the woman that he caught, was caught in adultery? What did he tell her? Go and sin no more. He ain't afraid to tell you the truth. Uh, he'll tell you the way it is. And he tells them, sell all. Give to the poor. Your riches will then be immediately tabulated in heaven where moth nor rust nor thief can get to it. Sell it all. Then come follow me. Uh, see, he had an opportunity of a lifetime to follow the master. He could have been a great disciple, but he was right there, that thing that really hurt him the most. Remember Lazarus? Lazarus could have been the greatest disciple of all time. I have a sermon on that. I mean, to be raised from the dead, come on. <laughs> raised from the dead, come on. You know, hey, brother, you were dead. Now just do whatever Jesus wants you to do. I don't know about that. Because Lazarus not mentioned the book of Acts. Something happened over here. Lazarus dummied up, got selfish, stayed selfish. Thanks, but no thanks, Jesus. Thanks for resurrecting me, but no thanks, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. See, we all know the results which is the bottom line for neglecting discipleship. Bible says this young man, like Lazarus probably, went away sorrowful. He could have gone away satisfied. That's what Christianity, Christianity, we should be content and satisfied. But he went away sorrowful because he didn't want to pay the price. And that's always hard. Uh, when you're, you're not willing to do what God wants you to do and you're a Christian, you're born again, and you're not living a spiritual life, you're living a carnal life. That's a, that's a, I think that's the most miserable life on this planet, being carnal. Knowing, yes, I'm going to heaven, but man, I'm saved, yes, but one more party, one more swallow, uh, one more, you know, God, that's, that's miserable, uh, half-stepping, 
Uh, that's what happened with this guy. He went away sorrowful rather than satisfied. See, riches bring a false sense of security. Uh, where you act bad like if you're okay. But we're not. See, riches are not sinful, but they're dangerous. It's not sinful to be rich. Uh, oh, but it's dangerous. You're treading on dangerous territory. Riches can bind us to this earth, and this earth is not our home. Uh, man, they can put all our thoughts on self, and we neglect the heavenly. I've used an illustration many years ago, and I'm going to use it again today because I want to insert it here in the sermon about a guy that went to Africa. By the way, March 19th, we're going to South Africa. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to go for a week, and we're going to go spy the land. Praise the Lord. Hey, that's something to shout about. We're going to put a sheepfold, hallelujah. That's our intent, to put a sheepfold of church uh, in South Africa. That'll be the first of many. Uh, but anyways, this guy, he was a missionary to Africa. He'd been there for many, many years. He finally got to leave. He was coming home on leave before he went back. He was going to spend about six months in America. And he's on a boat. And when he's on the boat, getting ready to go, come home, he sees the Statue of Liberty. Him and his wife are out there looking at the Statue of Liberty. There's a huge band out there playing. Dun, 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 dun. And he's looking and then he's wondering, what are they doing this for? He asks questions and comes to find out, he says, oh, you didn't know Teddy Roosevelt, the president of the United States, is on this boat. And they're welcoming him. They're, they're, they're putting out the red carpet. And, oh, yeah, what, what did he do? He, oh, he went on a hunting trip with Ray Perez. Uh, he just went hunting. Uh, and then the, 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 he sits there and he's thinking, dun, 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 dun. He was like, he says, man, I've been out in Africa. Years and years. There ain't no bad way for me. Dun, 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 dun. And this guy goes hunting. Dun, 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 dun. And they roll the red carpet off for Teddy Roosevelt. He goes and he gives a speech and he gets there. And that guy's all mad. He said, man, I've been laboring for the Lord. I don't got nothing over here. Nobody, dun, 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 dun for me. <laughs> then his wife, you know, women have a lot of wisdom. Amen. Then his wife, she looks over at him. And women can read their husbands. Right, Kim? Yes, yes, she knows. We didn't stay up for 3 o'clock for nothing. Hallelujah. Uh, and then she looks at him. and He's all mad. Nah, nah. And she goes, she says, listen, they're doing all this for Teddy Roosevelt because he's, he's coming back home. But you and I, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. This place is not our home. There's not going to be. A, but someday, you're going to hear. Who's he coming? Steve Benito's coming in. We're not home yet. This place. Don't put all your marbles on this place. Man, if, 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 you're, if you're so caught up with here, when the rapture comes, you're not going to want to go. No, Jesus. Ah. Ay, ay, See, Jesus then takes the opportunity to teach Peter and the disciples, and this is what I want to get at, a lesson on grace. See, salvation doesn't come by wealth. You can't buy it. You can't con, you can't earn your way into heaven. It comes by the grace of God. This rich young man thought, in his own estimation, he had piled up enough points to earn his way into heaven. But we're not. We're saved by grace, and we serve by grace. That's what I want to get at today, too. We're saved by grace, but we serve by grace. Okay. Let's see. Right after Jesus had that encounter 
there. What he does, look at chapter 20 now. Chapter 20. I want us to look at chapter 20 of Matthew. Because that's when Peter asked the question, what, what do we got coming, Jesus, for being obedient to you? Okay, see, Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Because Jesus wants them to know what they got coming. He wants you to know what you got coming for sacrificing. And for living out the way you're supposed to live out. Okay? Matter of fact, look at verse 28, first of 19. First. He says, I tell you the truth at the renewal. In other words, in, chapter, in verse 28 and 29 of chapter 19, he tells them, listen, Peter, listen, disciples, you have, you have a new future. You have a new family and you have a new fulfillment. That's what he tells the rich young ruler and he tells Peter. You have a new future. If you're a Christian, you got a new future. Uh, you ain't going to hell, you're going to heaven. What a future. Jesus could stop there. But no, now you have a new family. Uh, yes, you still have your old family. Sorry. <laughs> you know. But you still have your old family too. And that's great. Hallelujah. But now you got a new family. Oh, that's why in growing, that's going to be great. You have a bigger and bigger family all the time. You go to the conference, you see all the family, thousands of people of Victoria's family. Christian families. Being a Christian. Then he says, then you have a new fulfillment in verse 30. That's what the guy was looking for. That's what he didn't have. He didn't have contentment. He didn't have nothing on the inside. But you and I that have been born again, you know who we got. Uh, you know, you know, you know, I got, my, my wife was talking about that. Uh, the joy. The world didn't give it to me, so the world can't take it away. Uh, I was talking to a young man who's older than me yesterday. A young man who's older than me yesterday in my house, a leader. And he was talking about when he first got saved. And that young man is here today. He was saying, when he first got saved, you know, everybody would mock him and rock him in his work. You know, oh, you're a Christian. They'd mess with him. But he was telling me, he says, but I, uh, you know, I, I was trying to explain to the people, I didn't care what they said. He says, look, you can tell me anything you want to. You can be an atheist. You can call me. He says, but I know what I have on the inside. And nobody can tell me different. What I have is, it's, 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 I'm born again. I'm new. He says, and I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, so he had a new fulfillment. Then in verse, the last verse there, verse 30, it says, but many that are first shall be last, and last shall be first. Then look at verse 16 of chapter 20. What does it say? But many who are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Remember what I've said before. When the Jewish people said things twice, what did it mean? It was important. They didn't have exclamation points. They didn't have commas. They didn't have parentheses. They didn't have periods. So whenever they wanted to uh, say something that was real important, that's what you would say, verily, verily, I send to you. Not just verily. I say verily, verily. Whenever Jesus said verily, verily, sit down and burn the midnight oil. Check it out. It's very important. So he says the first shall be last, the last shall be first twice, which means what? What's in between those two slices of wheat bread is very important. That's a lot of meat there. We're going to look at those slices. Are you ready? We're going to look at them. I want you to stay with me now. Verse, chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like, whenever you read that, you're going to know what God's like. You want to know what God's like? How many of you want to know what God's like? We're going to find out. Look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went away early out of the morning to hire men to work in the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarii for the day and sent them into his vineyard. On the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing what? Nothing. He told them, you also go out and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. It's a very important word. Whatever. 
Uh, those of you young people, the gang generation, uh, whatever. Well, that's a very important word, whatever. These are the, gonna, the first ones are going to pay. He contracted the first ones. Uh, Denari, I'm going to pay you whatever. Don't worry about it. Just trust me. Have faith. Uh, so they went. He went out again in the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing around here doing nothing all day long? Because we, no one has hired us. They answered, he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a Daenerys. So then those who came, who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a Daenerys. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work on the heat of the day. But he answered, one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a Daenerys? Take your pay and eat your mush and hush. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Uh, see, here, and we're still looking. We're still looking for the bottom line of discipleship. Are you with me? We're still looking what is our reward uh, for leaving all and following Jesus. Well, here in this story, Jesus says that he, the landowner went to the marketplace and he contracted those that he found, first of all, for a day's wage, a Daenerys. But these were not the only ones. He went out again at 9, at noon, at 3, and at 5 again. And he, he paid them all at once. That's what they would do the, with the poor people. Like if you've ever been to Manila, and the, you know, when they hire, they, they, they pay you right away. Okay, I mean, even here they have, uh, uh, what do they have, that labor ready. They'll pay you right away. Uh, so that's what happened here. He hired them in good faith. The first ones, he contracted them. Those are like the Jews. Are you with me? The Jewish people, the Old Testament. He contracted them. They had, matter of fact, I've said it before, and it can sound real, real bad. But you don't have to get saved to go to heaven. You don't have to accept Jesus. You have to follow all 613 laws of the Old Testament all the time. <laughs> okay, now you need grace. All right? Nobody can do that. All right? But the Old Testament, that's, they were hired, they were contracted out. Okay? But not the other ones. He says, I'll give you whatever is clever, Trevor. So eat your mush and hush. That's it. Uh, leave it up to me. Trust me. Depend upon me. Have faith in me. It's a personal relationship. With God. And we can trust him. The just shall live by faith. That's what he's talking about right here. Uh, doing things by trusting God. Being in good standing with God. He's, he's going to take care of you. He's not a hard taskmaster. He says, I didn't do anything evil, the taskmaster said. I didn't do anything wrong. I can spend my money when I want to, to who I want to, when I want to. Like I said in the, the first service. If God wants to bless Lenny more than he wants to bless, let me pick somebody, George, just at random, just random, then God can do what he wants to. 
If God wants Lenny to marry the most beautiful woman this side of the Pecos, that side of Pecos, and George had to get married at all? <laughs> like they say in show business, shaka, that's it, period, it's over. That's the way it goes. Matthew eleven six 6 says, blessed is that disciple that is not offended in me. What that, that's a very important, important scripture. One of the most important scriptures, I think, in, in the Bible. Matthew eleven six, 6. Blessed, which means, what does blessed mean? Do you have any remember? Heavily elated, not heavily sedated. That's counterfeit. That's heavily sedated is like, blessed means heavily elated on the natch. You didn't have to earn it. You just, ooh, I feel good like a Christian should and James Brown should do. You know, one of them shots. Uh, blessed is that disciple. And that could be you and me. It should be us. That's not offended in me, Jesus said. What that means is you're going to be blessed if you let Jesus call the shots in your life. Because this parable is talking about that. He says, don't tell me what to do with my money. If I want to bless Lenny with the finest <laughs> rabbi that'll make a great, great meal. Uh, and I want George to sit next to Christian the rest of his entire life, then, then that's what it is. Don't get mad at me. I know what I'm doing. It's all right. You're going to get to heaven someday anyways. Uh, or vice versa, George. It could happen this way too. Now you got a better nice car anyways. Uh, single ladies, George makes more money than Lenny. But we're not dealing with, a, we're dealing with the economy of God here. We're dealing with grace. Hallelujah. Uh, but you understand what he's trying to get at here with the parable? He says, let me call the shots. Don't get offended when God does something for you. If you've got to stay in the home two and a half years like I did, don't get mad. I didn't. And look what I got. Hallelujah. Uh, don't get upset at the economy of God. That's what he's trying to say. We're dealing with Grace 101, the economics of heaven. And let me just tell you something. The economy of God, the economics of God is much more valuable than money. Grace is much more valuable and more important than money. It's grace. That's the economics of God. He can do what he wants to when he wants to. He can say, if you've ever been to a sermon, uh, heard me preach at a funeral, I preach on the scriptures all the time. I talk about the first shall be last, last shall be first. Uh, I mentioned in the 9 o'clock service that Sister Faith and Harley and that family there, the uh, Patricios, and even went to go pray for her dad. He was like 70-something years old. Never wanted hardly nothing to do with God. But when Aniva went on his, his deathbed to go pray for him, Aniva told me, Pastor, he was, he was ready. He swallowed the whole plan of salvation up. He got saved. And a few days later, he went on to be with the Lord. Ah, but he's in heaven. Are we supposed to get all mad? I've been laboring for 27 years, God. And it's tough being a Christian. Like, I wish I'd never been born again. Man, Shishlam sermons. Wow, I wish I was a Baptist. Man, Methodists have it all method out, you know. You never know how long Pastor he's going to go. Hallelujah. Uh, listen, God's grace is efficient. It's, you know, I, 
I told a story this morning about my, my, my friend. Worst guy you could ever meet as far as con. This rich young ruler was a con. He was trying to con his way into heaven. Trying to see what he had to do to earn it. Because he, he figured he could do it. He says, I'm, I'm so perfect. I know I got to go to heaven. No, he went away sad and sorrowful. He probably didn't make it in the kingdom of God. But I'll tell you about my friend. My wife met him once. And this guy was, I talk a lot about him because he was a very influential kind of an individual. That was too much. Uh, this guy, and, and you guys know a little bit about Oxnard boxers, right? Anybody know a little bit about Oxnard boxers? Uh, Fernando Vargas. How many know about Fernando Vargas? Is he one proud motor scooter? Yes, he is. He's from my neighborhood, my area. I know about proud. Uh, man, those guys. Hijo, I'm talking about those guys. <laughs> I used to be one of those guys. Proud. But you go to Oxford and talk about uh, this guy, my friend Roy, to anyone, and they're going to say, ooh, 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 you had to watch yourself with that guy. Uh, he's going to burn you. One way or another, he's going to burn you. You're going to get burned. Sorry. Uh, and this guy, you know, when I went to go pick him up, I took him to the home. He never made it. But I picked him up to the county jail, taking him to the home. I had told my wife all about him. He was like my brother. And I said, this guy, Josie, can draw your portrait in 10 seconds. Walt Disney used to, every time he was going to get out of YA, Walt Disney would be there for him, trying to take care of him. We're going to put you up in a hotel. We'll take care of you. We'll give you an apartment. Just work for us, because he was so good. He could draw. Uh, but he, he was a dolphin. Uh, so I had told my wife, he can draw your portrait in 10 seconds. So about halfway down to L.A., all of a sudden, my wife's like this. She turns around. My wife is very inquisitive. She goes, she's listening to us talk. She's like, oh, these guys. Uh, and I can imagine what we said. Uh, but we were, we were too much. And we are just talking about it. And I'm witnessing to him, trying to tell him. You know, and he's tripping out. He just wants to get out of jail. Matter of fact, you should have seen how he got out. I went to the Morrison hearing for him. The Morrison hearing was, they were just messing with, I mean, that's like a, before judges. The different probation officers are all there. Parole officers from all over the California. And he, you know what he did? He got up from the, the hearing and he went to the door and said, let me out, let me out, let me out. Let me out. Man, what an actor. Let me out. Man, I'm, you guys have never given me a break. I'm asking for one break to go to my friend's program, and you don't even let me go. Get, let me out. Let me out. <laughs> Listen, Mr. Perez. No, let me out. Let me out, man. I, I never asked for a break. See, and he really meant it, though, too, because he never asked for a break. The guy was so proud. He's finally asking for one break, and he's not going to give it to him. <laughs> That's how proud he was. I try to humble myself, and this is what I get. I know sitting there. Take me to, I'm not afraid of prison, which he wasn't. I want one break. They let him out. We get him halfway to L.A. Josie turns around and says, is it true what my husband says? Well, what does your husband say? Well, my husband says, you can draw my portrait in 10 seconds. Is that true? He goes, no. And she looks at me like, okay, I told you. <laughs> he goes, no. Five. This guy was not too much. I look at him and said, oh, Leroy. He goes, hey, bro, I haven't seen you in eight years. I got better, bro. I'm better. Yeah, five seconds, man. That guy was bad. But this guy didn't want God. He was, when he died, he died of cancer in Delano Prison. And Diane's husband was there. No, excuse me, Donna's husband was there the day he died, Angela. And I called because I was out evangelizing, doing the work of San Antonio, Texas. I come out, and he's dead. And I go, oh, my God. So I call. I'm calling all kinds of places, trying to figure out what happened. At 2.30 in the morning, 
I've been up for 2.30 before, Jose. 2.30 in the morning. I get a hold. Finally, they put me through because I'm a reverend. I'm trying to use, I'm a reverend. You know, with ministry, victory outreach, I'm a reverend. So finally, they give me the correctional officer that was in charge of him. They, and I finally get through. I said, oh, my God, thank God. And so he, he picks up the phone. I mean, this is correctional officer, CEO, so-and-so. Uh, what can I do for you? And I started saying, you know what? There was a young man, Roy Perez. He died. He goes, oh, he goes, you mean the young man that picked up the Bible? Whew. I said, thank you. Because it was like me. It was like me. It was, it was like me. And I said, oh, God. Roy had a saying. Ma didn't raise no fool. See, he knew. If Steve was into this thing, there has to be something here. Yes, it was a last-minute salvation. But I believe he's in heaven. And who are we to... Can you go to anybody that ever knew that guy? I went to his brother at the funeral. And his brother looked at me and told me, No, Roy wouldn't accept Jesus. And I said, Oh, Jimmy, you mean you'd rather he go to hell? Because that's the way... That's the way you, you never thought he would have. But he did. That's what this parable is talking about. The economics of heaven. That's grace. My grace is sufficient for you. And it's worth a lot more than money. God's economics are, are, are very valuable. They're boundless. They're bountiful. Didn't I tell you those two words were going to mean more to you at the end of the sermon? Uh, his, you, you, can't, you can't box in that. Money can only go so far. Ask Donald Trump. Ask the rich young ruler. But not Grace. That's why, uh, you know, face dad is in heaven today. God can do what he wants to, what he wants to, to who he wants to. And I pray that he could do that to you. That you wouldn't get offended when he says, no, I'm not going to do this this time, but I'm going to do this. No, I'm not. Huh? Let him call the shots in your life. Just go with his flow. I learned that a long time ago. Yes, I would love to do, have more. I'd love to, but it's okay. If he just wants so much for my life, it's okay. No problem. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. We don't tell 